It's a Monday edition of Locked On Heat. On today's show, we'll get to some of the big news coming down this Monday morning across the league and take some of your mailbag questions about Bam Adebayo and Hassan Whiteside. And we'll also preview tonight's game against the Denver Nuggets and some keys to the game for the Miami Heat. Now let's get to the show. You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for the Step Back and Fan Rag Sports, and I write for Miami Heat's Tip-Off magazine. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramillo, credentialed NBA writer who's covered the Heat for SB Nation and allyoucanheat.com. I cover the league at large for fansided and fan right sports, and you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRamel13. We're going to start with some news, big news coming out of Cleveland that could have an impact on Miami. Uh, we're going to start with that before we get to your mailbag later on. Um, but let's start with just uh, an, a quick injury update. Dwayne Wade, who has dealt with a hamstring issue that sidelined him for the last three games, and Hassan Whiteside dealing with a hip issue that it's also sidelined him for the last three games are both out for tonight versus Denver. Uh, the Heat have gone one and two in that three-game road trip without Wade and Whiteside. So they, again, they will not be playing against Denver. But now let's get to the the big stuff coming down this Monday morning. Uh, new, news breaking before we started recording here, David, that Ty Lue is stepping away from the Cavaliers due to health reasons. We don't know exactly how long he's going to be away from, from the team, but Adrian Wojnarowski is reporting that it'll be a matter of days, not weeks. So if that's the case, he should be back in time for the playoffs. But this could still have a pretty big impact on the Cavs and then the rest of the Eastern Conference playoff race, right? Absolutely. I mean, they're uh, being taken over by Larry Drew, who has some experience coaching at the NBA level. Obviously, he's coached a number of teams, Milwaukee, Atlanta, for, for years. So there is some experience already in place there. Uh, but nobody has the pulse of the team quite like Ty Lue does. And so for all the criticism that he uh, is directed in Ty's way, and deservedly so because there is always a sense that he might not have a good grip on on what's taking place inside the locker room as far as being able to control it, um, he does you know interact with the players. He does kind of understand what's taking place there. They're trying to integrate new players uh, and, and develop some kind of a rhythm as they go into the playoffs. So it's definitely going to be a challenge for them as they, as they make that last playoff push. You know, this is a team that has been struggling. And Ty Lue, you know, there's a lot of kind things coming out about Ty Lue right now. You know, the whole get well soon, sure. et cetera, and everything like that. So I want to, you know, keep that in mind. And, of course, we wish it, wish him the best with whatever he's dealing with. However, he has not done a good job coaching the team. And I've been very vocal about the fact that Ty Lue has not been a good coach for them. Uh, tactically, he does not run the right offense for the team. Right. He's It's just it always felt like he was trying to to kind of – play a game that wasn't suitable for his roster. Um, and I don't think he leverages the skills of his team the right way and the guys that he has. Um, specifically, LeBron and Kevin Love, his two best players right now. But that said, Larry Drew, nothing against him, but he's not an upgrade. You know, I, I think Ty Lue, they need to upgrade at head coach, the Cavs. But Larry Drew's not an upgrade only because he's been an assistant for the same, for that team this whole time, right? It's not like you're bringing in and out. Like, I thought, you know, hypothetically, you could bring in David Fisdale and and that would be an upgrade but i don't think that this is an upgrade so this is actually going to hurt this is going to hurt cleveland i think but only because of what you were saying they they were they're still in the process of trying to act, get all these new guys acclimated and figure out a system they've still they're still dealing with a number of injuries so this could be an issue and if you look at the cavs where they're at they they could lose the third seed to the indiana pacers 
if you yeah. look at where they're at in the standings here, I mean, or, or even the Washington Wizards, both the Wizards and the Pacers are 40 and 30. Cleveland is 40 and 29. It's not <laughs> like they've got a stronghold on that third seed at all. Now, maybe there's some, you get that post. Yes. I, I don't know how it works. Did you see people that let you see, like when Jason Kidd got fired, there was like that post head coach got fired sure. jump by the team. But this is a little bit of a different circumstance, so I don't know if that'll happen here. I, I can imagine that it will, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I know we'll probably talk about it more later on, but I, I think, um, look, they've got a matchup with Miami on March 27th, so that's something to definitely look forward to. Um, but at the same time, I could see LeBron kind of rallying the troops and saying, let's try to give maximum effort, um, knowing that it's important for the last few weeks of the season to, to try and solidify that third seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what Drew will do. You're absolutely right that he's been part of that that organization for a number of years, and so I don't expect him to do anything vastly different than what Ty Lue does. So that's going to be a concern for them as well. But I think I think the players are experienced enough, and I know they're welcoming back Kevin Love soon, so his return should boost them already. And I could imagine them going on a, on a good four to five game winning streak after the news was announced earlier today. I mean, I wonder also if you know how LeBron will take some rest before the playoffs and sort of get ready to to enter postseason LeBron mode. Yeah, I don't know if Ty Lue, I don't know if there is postseason Ty Lue mode. Right. But but if there is, we're gonna find out, right? So if he takes a, a much needed break right now, yeah, gets some rest. I mean, that's kind of where Cleveland is. I wonder if they even necessarily care about having the third seed. I mean, as long as they're one of the top four seeds, they'll have home court. Uh, but. But they they are in danger of falling out of those top four seeds in the East. I wonder if they even care because I think we're projecting that they should care, but we have no we have no way of knowing if they actually do care. Well, it's about um, establishing a rhythm and having a comfortable pattern with one another and understanding what players fill what roles, and that's going to change when Love returns. And then again, without the coach there, and if if Wojnarowski is reporting that it's going to be a matter of days. That seems pretty optimistic considering that what he's dealing with sounds very similar to what kept Steve Clifford out for months when he was coaching the yeah. Charlotte Hornets. I mean, he was losing sleep, experiencing headaches. Lou says he's experiencing chest pains. I mean, that all sounds like anxiety, stress, a lot of which affects sleeping patterns, et cetera. So, I mean, if he's going to come back in a few days, this isn't going to solve the health problem. And, and it's probably just kind of, yeah. you know, staying it at best and, and maybe – It'll crop up again during the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't know if... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he missed the first round of the playoffs. I mean, you're right. Clifford stepped away for a lot longer. I yeah. guess he could have afforded to because, number one, Charlotte wasn't very good. They didn't have that high of expectations despite all the stress that Clifford was under. Right. And it was at the start of the season. This is a couple weeks. This is, what, not even 30 days away right. from the start of the playoffs that this is happening. Um, but we'll see how the rest of this plays out uh, over the next few days. Just some other news before we move on to the mailbag. Derek Jones Jr. has rejoined the Heat. Obviously, um, a call-up because the Heat have been missing Dwayne Wade. Um, Josh Richardson recently bouncing back from injury. And then Hassan Whiteside, of course, is also out, so could mess with the rotation a little bit. So Derek Jones Jr. Haven't seen him in quite a while, um, so he's back with the Heat right now uh, on that two-way contract. So And then and then former Heat player O'Kara White has signed a 10-day contract with the Cavaliers. Speaking of the Cavaliers. Right. Uh, so good to see O'Kara White line, landing on his feet somewhere, even if it was with a tumultuous situation in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, just uh, bounce back from injury. Hopefully he's healthy enough to play. It didn't seem like that was the case when he was traded to Atlanta and they waived him. So uh, I guess he's back and ready to play. And, you know, it's only a 10-day contract, but it gives him an opportunity to see what he's capable of providing. Maybe they'll sign him to a long-term deal over the summer, although there were some rumors that Miami would be interested in doing the same thing. I think he can help that team. Um, they need guys that can kind of play on both sides of the ball. 
Let's move on to our mailbag, but first, a quick reminder to subscribe to Locked On NBA. It's the only daily NBA podcast that's less than 30 minutes long that delivers the most important news, scores, and storylines of the day. Perfect to listen to on your morning commute, while you're at the gym, or during your lunch break. And make sure to listen on Tuesday specifically when Wes and I will be hosting for the rest of the season. To get the latest episode every day, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Mailbag time. Let's get to Lyle's question who asks, why is Bam Adebayo shooting so much? He has no business taking 10 shots a game. He's not helping the offense at all. He should be. He should try to be a Rodney Magruder type player for now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this Bam, who has started the last three games in place of Whiteside, 10 shots, 9 shots, and 10 shots. And on those 29 attempts, he's only made 8. So he is shooting a lot. But you do sort of expect that when somebody is in a starting role. Did you have an issue with how much he was shooting? No, I did not. I mean, I have an issue with how much he's missing those shots. It looked like he was out of rhythm and <laughs> uh, unable to get the shot against. Look, the matchup with Yusuf Nurkic, as we talked about that game, was a really bad one for Adebayo. Possibly his worst game of his entire rookie season. And that's, you know, understand that he's going through growing pains and everything else like that. But one of 10 shooting, that's particularly bad. Follow that up with a two of nine shooting against Willie Cauley-Stein in Sacramento, a game that you get the chance to see up close. Um, you know, that's, it's unfortunate. That That's the, the thing, though, is that if he's making, as he did against the Lakers, half of his shots, we wouldn't even be questioning this. Like, he's still running the offense. He still had, you know, seven assists, I mean, sorry, eight assists total during those three games. So he's creating shot opportunities for others. It's not like he's, greedily hanging hanging onto the ball or forcing up shots he's trying to create offense and I think that's something that we have to expect of players that are in the starting lineup they can't just go in there and be you know take a couple of shots look I know Magruder isn't exactly um, aggressive with his shot making but that's one of the things that we criticize about him is that he was forcing the ball kind of giving it up as the shot clock was winding down not creating opportunities for himself or for others and he kind of expanded his game to include that. I think if we want to see the next level of development for Adebayo, it's the fact that he has to be a better shot creator for himself. Because we already know that they run the offense a lot through him at the elbow, have him swing the ball around, create opportunities for others. But we need to see some aggression out of him to create his own shot and to get better, more effective shots. You know, He did that against Brooke Lopez, who's known for not being a particularly strong defender at this point in his career. He never really was, but now in particular with the Lakers. Uh, and he finished with half of the shots made. So that, I mean, that's a, a step up. Unfortunately, he just wasn't able to duplicate that against better defensive players in Portland and Sacramento. I thought the second half of that game versus the Lakers was the best he had played throughout that road trip, um, which isn't necessarily saying <laughs> much, not. but it did seem like he finally he finally started to get comfortable a little bit. I, I, I want to say most of those five field goal makes came in the second half against the Lakers, but for the first 10 quarters of that three-game road trip, he was just bad. I mean, he was just – he was it was the worst we had seen from Bam Adebayo. And look, he was thrust into a, a bad position playing um, on the road, that's always tough for any player like uh, from going from Miami to the West Coast there. Right. Uh, but in the second half, he started to get a little bit more of a feel for it. It seemed like the game slowed down for a little a, a little bit for him. He just seemed more comfortable. Mentioning also where you, you were talking about the eight assists, he was still doing that part, right? right? So it wasn't like he was stopping the ball. He was still rebounding the ball incredibly well. Uh, he had five offensive rebounds against the Lakers and then four each against the Kings and the Trailblazers. So he's still doing a lot of the things that, that – have made Bam so effective and so playable right. and, and as a rookie. I, I should add that he also had one series against Portland where I think he missed 
like three putbacks consecutively, and there were a couple of plays yes. like that. So I think you're looking at that one for 10 showing against Portland, and you're going, wow, he, he missed 90% of his shots. But a lot of them were, you know, bunnies at the rim and, and on the same series. It wasn't like he was just taking 10 shots and disrupting the flow of the offense. I think they credit him for like two or three field goal attempts on yeah, that on that it. series. I remember the one you're talking yeah. about. And um, and so, yeah, and it, it, you're right. And a lot of his shots were coming from near the rim too. And it did seem like he was forcing things throughout the first three games. So it's not like also he's he's out there chucking 20-footers. You know what I mean? Like the, I, I was okay with the shots. It just, like you said, I was not okay with how much he was missing them. But he started to settle in later right. on. So overall, I think it was fine. And and it's not like he's taking – like who's he taking shots away from? Dwayne Wade wasn't playing. Right. Goran Dragic was playing well despite everything that was happening. It's not like Bam was taking shots away from anyone. So Richardson was out. I mean, I mean there was, was a number of yeah, there was a number of factors there, and, and he's in the starting lineup. You need you need to get points from somewhere. He can't provide that burst off the bench because he's starting, and so you kind of need him to be able to create a little offense there. So I don't have a problem with it. I understand Lyle's point, and it, it kind of looks bad because he did miss a number of his shots, but you know those shots have to come from somewhere, or else you're going to get completely blown out. Which you know it, they looked like they were going to do that anyway against Portland. And uh, Miami was able to make it respectable, but uh, you know it, it was a, it was a struggle for him all game long. And at least he's starting to show some improvement. I imagine he'll continue starting today against the Denver Nuggets, so that's something to look out for. We mentioned some injuries, uh, and Claudia wants to know more about him. She writes in: When is Dwayne Wade coming back to the lineup? Is Spo saving him for the playoffs? Better get him and Whiteside back soon. Need time to shake off the rust. Um, so we don't know exactly when Wade and, and Whiteside are coming back. Again, they are both ruled out for tonight's game versus Denver. But yeah. the idea that Spo might be saving Wade for the playoffs versus the idea that they need some time to get back into the flow of things and to, to use Claudia's words, shake off the rust, is, is kind of a that's – that's an argument every season for every team. Do you want to be rested or do you want to be in a groove going into the postseason? I wouldn't be surprised if Spo – Actually, I'm, I'm fairly certain Spolstra is being very conservative with Dwayne Wade, understanding that he's going to need somebody like Wade in the yes. postseason. Absolutely, and I think you're 100% spot on with that. Look, and we saw the same thing with Whiteside. When he came back from injury, he was rested, and he had a, a slate of games there where he was really, really impactful. Uh, I think they understand that in order for this team to win, they need those two players playing at their best and rested. And so while they're – absolutely dealing with injuries, nagging injuries that probably limit their efficiency, they'd probably be able to play if it was a a do-or-die situation. It isn't. Um, There's almost a month left in the regular season, enough time for them to kind of get into playing shape and establish that kind of rhythm back. And as long as they're rested, I think they can be the best versions of themselves going into the playoffs, and they're absolutely essential in that regard. So, uh, you know, we haven't gotten any confirmation. I imagine that Spolstra wouldn't say that publicly. I don't think he would admit to resting players like that. But uh, at the same time, that's probably his mindset. Uh, And and it's a good one. They did travel with the team. Well, I I should mention that they were they were with the team on that West Coast road trip. So there is if Spol was if if Spolstra was just straight resting them, just hey, you guys are just taking these next games off. They would not have traveled with the team. So there is there is that idea there that look if they are healthy enough to play, they will play. As we are chasing a higher seed in the postseason, but if they're if they're just if they're not ninety to one hundred percent, I'm not going to play them. I'm not going to risk it. It's not worth it. So I think he's just being conservative with his, with the with with. And I think Wade is also being conservative, and Whiteside should be conservative because, like you said, he's been much more effective when he's been healthy. He's been very ineffective when he's not been healthy, especially with any lower leg, lower body injuries, and he's dealing with a hip situation right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that they need much, much time either of them to to get back into the flow of things and establish that rhythm. So it's, I don't see it as much of a concern. I, look, it, it impacts some games now. I think the other issue is also, you know, Detroit and Charlotte are, are several games behind Miami in the standings. Not a realistic threat to knock Miami out of the eighth seed. If if Miami's goal was to get higher in the standings um, and create a better matchup for them, I don't, I don't think that it is, and I don't think it's something that they're um they see as crucial i think they like their chances against any of the top teams as good a chance as they're ever going to get to be honest with you they, they they have a faith in their system and the the strengths of their players to knock off whatever opponent or to challenge whatever opponent even if a, a win against toronto or boston isn't realistic so i don't think they're making a push to get the fourth seed or fifth seed or anything like that it's still within reach mathematically it just doesn't seem realistic at this point so i don't think it's essential for them to to come back better to have them at full strength have guys playing. Look, you're getting Adebayo more experience in case he plays in the playoffs. You're getting mm-hmm. Magruder more playing time after missing months of the season. This is the the flip side of injuries is that other players gain that kind of valuable experience to be in clutch time situations. Look at look at Goran Dragic. You know, he's had such a huge game. He had a really good you know, road trip, actually. He was yeah. the superstar in all three games. Uh, I mean, leading the team in scoring without a doubt. And his his shot in the waning seconds of, of the victory over the Lakers was a huge boost for him, I think, and his confidence. And, and now I think you get a better version of him throughout the course of the season where he realizes he can take over a game if needed. Well, you might need to take over tonight's game against the Nuggets. We're going to Ooh. preview that matchup uh, coming up next. But first, did you know that you can listen to Locked On Heat on your home assistant like the Amazon Echo or Google Home? It's a hands-free way to listen to the latest episodes of Locked On Heat or any of the other Locked On Podcast Network shows. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Heat versus Nuggets tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the Heat, we know, are, deal- are will be without Wade and Whiteside. The Nuggets are only going to be without Gary Harris, who's been a good scorer for them this season. Um, and this is a game that has some playoff implications, uh, despite you know the Heat obviously being in the East, Nuggets being in the West. Denver's two games back uh, of the eighth spot in the West. Miami is only a half game behind Milwaukee for the seventh seed, so any, any game versus anyone could put Miami over Milwaukee for that seventh seed, which is a much more, I think... Uh, uh, that's that's a that's a spot where I think all these teams really want to be right now because that seventh seed is slated to play a, a very injured Boston team um, right now. So a lot of things at stake tonight, as every game will be down the stretch. Um, David, what are some of the keys to win here for for Miami? Well, I think you have to be able to understand your opponent. Look, they're they're coming off a really bad loss to Memphis, who hadn't won in like in uh, 2018, I think. Um, so I think that when they, you know, they lost to them on Saturday, they had to travel. This is the second game of a really tough seven game road trip. And I think, you know, the, the first game back is always a tough one for the home team after a, a short road trip. Like it's, it's harder after a longer road trip, obviously. But for Miami, you know, they've been away for a week and a half or so. They need to kind of come back get back into a comfortable pattern at home, understand what's at stake here and and try their best against a, a dangerous opponent that likes to push the pace offensively. Look, I know their pace isn't exactly incendiary, but they do put up a lot of shots. They shoot at a very high level. I think they have a ni- the ninth best field goal rate in the league. They shoot a lot of threes, also somewhere around eighth or ninth most in the league. So uh, I think that's going to be the key for Miami is to make sure that they kind of play a slower pace, kind of get them into their comfort zone as far as a slower offense and kind of grinding it out. 
Yeah, and you mentioned to me before the show, don't don't let Denver jump out to an early lead there. I mean, Miami's yes. been dealing with that all season long. We could we could put that down for every game. You know, don't get right. jumped, basically. Yeah. And Denver is sixth and sixth in offensive rating in the NBA. You mentioned their field goal percentage. That is a it's a very dangerous, potent offense. Now they will again be without Gary Harris, who's been among their best scores, but they've still got Nikola Jokic, they still got Jamal Murray, they still got Will Barton. They've got these guys, they've got a lot of different guys who could score. And so I think the one-on-one matchups for Miami defensively are going to be huge. Uh, you look at Goran Dragic guarding Murray. Uh, I, guess, I suppose Richardson will guard Barton. You might have Winslow guarding a, a bunch of wings on the perimeter. Bam Adebayo coming, playing out on Nikola Jokic. This is a game where Adebayo is probably a better matchup anyway than Whiteside. Absolutely. So um, I think for Miami, they want to attack that Jokic matchup, use a little bit of that pick-and-roll game that they used on this road trip between Dragic and either Adebayo or Kelly Olynyk with the pick and pop and really try to torch Jokic that way. Just I think that's in every scouting report for a team that plays Denver. Jokic, as good as he is offensively, has been a disaster defensively lately. And so if you can attack him in that pick and roll, that could be a great way to create some shots and then kick out to guys like Rodney Magruder and Justice Winslow. Some of that drive and kick offense, we, we might see a lot of that um, tonight as well. And then as far as other keys, uh, I, I think you want to force Denver to turn the ball over. They move the ball a lot, but they are also 24th in the league in turnover percentage. So they, they are trying to be a modern NBA offense, but they are, they're also so young, so they turn the ball over at a higher rate than, say, Houston or even a Golden State who does tend to turn the ball over anyway. So I think there's, there's opportunities there for Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson to, gra- to, to jump passing lanes, grab steals, and then s- score easy buckets in transition. And then speaking of transition, you want to limit those transition opportunities from Denver. They're sixth in the NBA in points per possession on transition opportunities per cleaningtheglass.com. Um, so you want to take you want to basically take care of the ball. You want to control time and possession if you're Miami. Don't turn over the ball on your end. Force turnovers from Denver's end, and they're going to have a good shot. If they do those two, two things, they should have a good shot to win this game. There's a couple of matchups there that can be pretty dangerous, I think, for Miami. I think the Jamal Murray one, as you pointed out, I wouldn't be surprised to see – well, I guess Tyler will probably start tonight, right? Mm-hmm. So he'd probably yeah. guard Murray, I guess, and you'd have you'd probably have Dragic on on Will the Thrill Barton. I think that's probably a better matchup, right? Although, probably. I, and then Jay Rich is going to have his hands full against Wilson Chandler. He's a big three, uh, and they've got Paul Millsap, who's of course had a dangerous career against Miami. He's always been one of those guys that really lights Miami up. So. I wonder, I mean, Justice will start, no, or James Johnson yeah. will start, right? James Johnson, yeah. I think Johnson on, so jo- so you got James Johnson kind of limiting Paul Millsap. I think that's an interesting matchup. But the mm-hmm. Richardson-Chandler one, that's going to be tough. I mean, Chandler's not the most not physical player. i Wilson Chandler. Okay. He's just not been good this year. <laughs> he's, he's big, tired. but like. He's tired of kind of being yeah. yanked around, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I just he's bigger. He could probably shoot over Josh a little bit, but his his legs look tired. He just doesn't look good this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right about the Tyler Johnson versus Murray thing. I think that's probably what they'll end up getting to at some point, though Spolster likes to tend to, he tends to just match up position by position to start games. Yeah. But I think they eventually get to Tyler Johnson on, on Murray. Unless he unless Murray just gets really hot and then I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Richardson on Murray. Yeah, I mean, he, he can explode like that offensively. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a very good shooter. and uh, he's a, he's a, He can shoot from deep, too. He's kind of got that Steph game to him a little bit where he's not afraid to pull up from 30 feet. So Tyler Johnson would be in particular great for that because Tyler Johnson likes to pick up guys at half court and play a little bit more of that full court press type defense. So 
It'll be interesting. It's going to be have interesting. You seen I think that, his return back. I haven't got a chance to cover a, a Nuggets game, so I don't have. He's to... still he's still sort of getting back in the swing of things. I'm not that worried about Paul Millsap, especially because the offense doesn't really suit him yet. They're trying to work that out between him and Jokic, how that works in the front court. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he doesn't look completely like he's in game shape yet because he missed so much time. I'm not too worried about Millsap, but like you said, if he's going to break out, this would probably be the game he breaks out at because he's been a heat killer for his entire career. So yeah. it would be very suitable for him to just completely break out and get back to Paul Millsap mode tonight. Yeah. So. It's a dangerous game. Look, Miami has to be able to, you know, like you pointed out, you know, they have to be able to create a big lead or not let Denver get a, a big lead, which has been a problem for the Heat all season. Um, they need to understand what's at stake. There needs to be a little bit of, uh, you know, a, a desire on their part. They need to understand what's at stake here. So, because I, I think yeah. for Denver, it's a little harder to see. But I mean, they've been they've struggled too. Like, you know, they they I don't know that they're necessarily aware of what their situation is. They they were one of the top teams there. You know, they had like they were pushing for home court advantage in the West, and then all of a sudden they've just dropped further and yeah. further down there and. And they've struggled on the road all season long, yeah, too. Sure. Miami's actually one-and-a-half-point favorites in this game. So I expect a win tonight. There's really no reason why the Heat shouldn't, unless, like you said, they just sort of blow it in the opening quarter, or at some point they just they do what the Heat have tended to do in these bad, in, in bad losses, where they just yeah. stop scoring points for six minutes in a row, and that'll be it. All right, well, that's all we have for today. We'll be back tomorrow with a recap of tonight's game versus the Nuggets. You can send mailbag questions and ask about advertising on the show by sending an email the locked on heat at gmail.com. Tweet your questions and comments for our recaps using the hashtag AskLOHeat. We'll get some of those tonight. Support the show by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash locked on heat. Music is courtesy of Mojave Wild. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it.